Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I need an hour and a half, 90 minutes, and I have broadcast partners around the world who will come to the broadcast table giving us information about current events that seemingly are setting the stage for the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. So glad to have you along. You're going to be able to hear not mainstream media reporting, but the truth. We're truth tellers here on Prophecy Today, and our broadcast partners look deep into the details of these current events to give you that truth. Ken Timmerman, he's in southern France today. They're in a location where he can actually watch the entire world be able to report to us on geopolitical events happening in our world. A number of things related to China as we begin, Ken. Xi Jinping, who is the president, of course, seems to be mobilizing China for a war and possibly with nukes. What can you tell us? Well, Jimmy, this has been building for a number of years. The Chinese have talked about the 100th anniversary of the Chinese Communist Party. That's this year. But they also have said they want to become the world's hegemon by the 100th anniversary of the revolution. That would be 2049. I think what we're seeing now is an acceleration of that timetable. And it's an acceleration based on many things. First, the Chinese have greater economic power than they might have forecast 20 years ago. Second, they have much greater military power and have been able to acquire cutting-edge military technologies initially by stealing them and buying them from the U.S. during the Clinton administration. But today, they are now pretty much self-sufficient in all of their military hardware, and they are building a blue-water navy to be able to challenge the U.S. around the world to keep us out of the South China Sea and other places, and they have an air force which is increasingly capable and on a par with the United States. So President Xi has been telling his people that China is on the march, they're on the move, that the United States cannot hold them back, and he's starting to use language which we saw in the 19th century and before when during the emperors, the period of the Chinese domination where he's talking about everything in the world, under the world, being under Chinese domination. The latest move, Jim, and I think this is what really precipitates this talk of a war breaking out, has been reinforcement of Chinese troops along the Indian border in the Himalayas. The United States ought to be worried. They were certainly worried when President Trump was in office. We haven't heard a peep out of the Biden White House about this, but 50,000 troops on the razor's edge with India up in those mountains is something to be extremely concerned about, seeing as both countries are nuclear-armed. And at the same time, Ken, I'm reading an article that says China's military is making preparation for war while America's military is going woke. Boy, that is really concerning, isn't it? Well, it is, and we hear this all the time from the top down, from the Secretary of Defense in the United States, you know, on down the troops. We see these awful recruitment videos. I'm sure many of our listeners have seen them either on Newsmax or or Fox News, where you have these transgendered individuals, obviously homosexual individuals, talking about their lifestyle and how the Army is so accommodating, and they are now really integrated into the Army, and the Army is woke. 
they are, you know, really into this LGBTQXYZ lifestyle. And they're putting that ahead of what the Army's true mission is, which is to defend this nation from all threats, from overseas threats. And they're not talking about the defense of this nation. They're talking about transforming the military in ways that Barack Obama talked about transforming America to turn it into something other than the defense force of our country, but a way of social transformation. That is very concerning when you see the Chinese, again, building up their military along the border with India, but also dramatically escalating their ballistic missile capabilities, their nuclear weapons capabilities. The Pentagon has come out with a report recently that says that China has more than doubled its uh, intermediate-ranged nuclear-capable missile forces in just the past two years. So uh, this is something that we really, really need to be watching. China is definitely on the march. They feel that they have achieved victory through COVID, the spread of COVID worldwide. We have not stopped it, and we have not yet focused the blame on China, which I believe is where it belongs. And I think the Chinese also know that's where the blame belongs. And so they feel they've achieved a victory by escaping blame for COVID, and now they can just uh, engage in their military objectives without really a great deal of um, pushback from the West. Ken, I'm also watching as China and Russia seem to come together. They have a new vision for Central Asia. Give us the latest on that. Well, the the irony here, Jimmy, is that we talk about the Silk Road and the Chinese talk about the uh, Belt and Road Initiative, which is to reinvigorate the Silk Road from the 11th century, from the 12th century, when China was connected uh, to Europe through Central Asia. Throughout the Soviet period, from 19... 20 basically until uh, 1990, that whole area was dominated by the Soviet Union. It was part of the Soviet Union. Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, uh, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, all of those countries which the Chinese are now trying to make inroads in were part of the Soviet Union. They were Soviet republics. Today they are independent states. And so the Chinese are competing with Russia, if you wish. The Russians are having a hard time recouping their influence in those previous vassal states. So the Chinese see this as a great opportunity, and they are investing, they're building infrastructure, they're building railroads, they are investing in people, in leaders, uh, corrupting leaders. There may be some kind of Chinese-Russian condominium here in Central Asia, but right now, I would give the uh, tip to the Chinese. I think they are really winning in this effort to dominate Central Asia, which has always been suspect of the Russians, and the Russians don't have the money to be able to compete with the Chinese. And Ken, in the Middle East, the word coming out of Lebanon, it's in dire straits, about to fall apart, mainly economically, but also militarily as well. And that's mostly because of Hezbollah, located and headquartered there in southern Lebanon at Israel's northern border. Hezbollah seeking to try to say that Iran's going to be the savior. Give us the details. Well, they would like to put forward Iran as the savior because the country is a mess. The Lebanese currency has lost something like 95% of its value over the past couple of years. A liter of gasoline, that's one 
fourth of a gallon, Jimmy, one fourth of a gallon, was selling for $47 last week. Just think of that. that that's basically $200 for a gallon of gasoline. It's unbelievable. It's never been seen before, and it's because of shortages that have been caused by Hezbollah's grip over the Lebanese economy and over the Lebanese government and the political sclerosis that is also gripping the country as a result. So the Hezbollah turns around and says, oh, well, don't blame us. We're going to bring in your savior, Iran, with uh, you know, Uncle Moneybags is going to come in here, and, and they're going to sell us oil, they're going to sell us gasoline, they're going to bring money in, they're going to bring new drugs, anti-COVID drugs and vaccines in. This just shows how Hezbollah is attempting to turn around this awful, awful economic and political situation uh, that's largely due to its own actions and claim victory by bringing in Iran to solve the problem. International news has been focused this last week on Afghanistan, especially in light of the Biden drawdown on U.S. troops there in Afghanistan. But I understand that uh, leaders from Afghanistan, a delegation from there, and the Taliban have come together in a meeting in Iran. Give us the details on this story. Well, Jimmy, here's another case where when you create a political vacuum, bad people will try to fill it. So the United States and NATO have just created a political vacuum in Afghanistan by declaring this troop withdrawal by September 11th, and now Biden has said he's going to push back a little bit further. It's a meaningless delay because 95% of the troops are already gone, and Taliban claims now to, co- to control over 90% of Afghan territory. So guess who steps in? The Iranians. The Iranians have now jumped in, and they are hosting these peace talks between the Afghan government and the Taliban. They're being held in Tehran, and both of those delegations are there. They're being chaired by Javad Zarif, the Iranian foreign minister. And I've got to add something here, Jimmy, that, that I think our listeners may have heard me say before, but it's important to repeat it. For years and years, the U.S. intelligence community said the Iranians, who are Shiite Muslims, could never, never cooperate with al-Qaeda or with the Taliban because they were Sunni Muslims. Well, here is yet another case where these Shia Muslims from Iran are cooperating directly with the Sunni Muslims in the Taliban because they have a common interest, and that is to defeat America. They see these peace talks as a way of showing that they have defeated America. They're already saying it in Tehran. We've beaten America in Afghanistan. They're retreating with their tail between their legs. And that is really the biggest problem with the way that Biden declared the withdrawal. President Trump said he was going to withdraw from Afghanistan, but not in this way. And this has allowed Iran to move ahead with their plan to be able to take over this world, which is their eschatology. Ken Timmerman, the man who covers geopolitical events for us, it's a must that we have him here at the broadcast table on a weekly basis. Ken, thank you so very much. I understand it's really sunny there in southern France, so have a great afternoon. Make sure you go out in the olive orchard and take care of your business. Jimmy, as I tell all of my friends here, life is good, God is great, and remember, Jesus is not a Muslim. (laughs) He is not. That's a great close. We'll talk to you next week, Kim. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. We have David Dolan standing by. We'll go into more information from the Middle East with David Dolan's Middle East News Update. 
It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We continue the 90 minutes I've asked you to give me so I can give you the world with David Dolan with his Middle East News update. Let's go right to David. David, I understand Prime Minister Naftali Bennett held a secret meeting at the Palace of King Abdullah in Amman, Jordan. Give us the details as much as you can. Well, Jimmy, the Israeli officials have still not confirmed that that did take place, and that's because the Jordanians are openly livid that the news was leaked by somebody. They wanted it to be a secret meeting, and King Abdullah is on his way to Washington to meet with President Biden and others fairly soon. He'll be the first Arab leader to do that, and that will be followed by Naftali Bennett, who is going to the White House also to meet with Biden and other officials. But the reports say that indeed uh, last week Bennett crossed over into Amman and uh, held the, what was said to be in the press, cordial meeting with Abdullah. And that is where, as I reported last week, he committed to sell Jordan 50 million cubic meters of fresh water desperately needed by uh, drought-stricken Jordan with uh, over a million Syrian refugees living there, etc. That was good news, and that was welcomed by the Jordanians. But like I said, they were upset the news leaked. And that is because, of course, even though they're at peace with Israel, um, Israel is still very controversial, and many Jordanian citizens do not support that peace treaty and will not like it that their 
uh, King is meeting with the new Israeli premier. It's interesting you mentioned the fact that King Abdullah will go to Washington and meet with President Biden there at the White House. Naftali Bennett has also been invited. He'll be going in this next couple of weeks as well to Washington. However, Bennett's going to have to face the U.S. concerns about a demolition of homes that belong to terrorists in Israel. Now, this has been a way of deterring the terrorist. Is it going to be able to continue in Israel? Will they ignore what the U.S. is saying, or what's the situation? Well, Jimmy, it all stems from the demolition on Thursday of this week of a Palestinian home near Ramallah owned by a Palestinian-American, a 56-year-old man who has dual citizenship, and so does his wife who lived there, his estranged wife, and several of his children. He was passing by the Tupuak Junction uh, three months ago when he suddenly saw three young Jewish males standing near the bus stop and decided to pull out his gun and shoot them. And he killed one of them and injured the other two. They were yeshiva, religious uh, students. There was a lot of angst in the uh, Jewish community in the area over that attack. He was uh, caught. He was hidden by a group of Palestinians who were also later indicted for doing that. But he was eventually captured and indicted for that crime. And then his house was destroyed. Well, This has always been a controversial policy, as you mentioned, that Israel would destroy the homes of known terrorists, terrorists that have been convicted, that has to happen first, or sometimes they're they're deceased, but it's known without doubt that they did the attack, and it is thought to be a deterrent because, you know, especially if you're a young Palestinian, mostly they're not 56-year-old men, they're much younger, and sometimes women that your family's going to be out of a home if you carry out this attack. So it is considered a deterrent in Israel, but the State Department in Washington has always opposed this policy. And after Thursday's demolition, there were some strong comments from the State Department spokesman. And even it was said that Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, contacted a senior, unnamed senior Israeli official to protest this. And they later said they won't let this drop. So it's the first open dispute between the new Biden administration and the new Bennett administration since the prime minister took office. We'll have to wait and see if that conversation continues when Naftali Bennett meets with Joe Biden in Washington. Well, we've been talking, David, about the outgoing president, President Reuven Rivlin, that has come to a conclusion, his seven years of service for Israel. Now a new president. Talk about this new president of the Jewish state of Israel. Well, it's Isaac Herzog, a member of the prominent, they're like the Kennedys or the Bushes in Israel, the Herzog family, hailing originally from Ireland. His grandfather was the chief rabbi of Ireland before he made Aliyah to Israel. Then his father was, of course, president of Israel also, and a leading member of the Knesset. And now the grandson, Isaac, is taking over as president. He's a Labor Party member, so he's not a right-wing politician, as the outgoing president was. He was a member, Reuven Rivlin, of the Likud Party. So this is going back to the other. But Isaac Herzog's always been known as uh, a statesman, a very above-board politician coming from this elite family, but born and raised in Israel, fully Israeli. 
and he's well-liked by many on the right as well as the left, so it's thought that he will be a good president. And as you know, this is a figurehead position mostly in Israel. They do ceremonial things, meet foreign leaders and that sort of thing, preside over uh, parades and openings of department stores and things like that. But as we know, they also are involved in the selection of the next prime minister after each election. So they do play a political role as well, but it's thought he'll do a good job. And so far, he has really encountered no opposition to his new position. Good news coming out of the Middle East. Looks like Saudi Arabia is moving towards getting on the Gulf peace train with the Jewish state of Israel. Is there more details than that? Well, there's reports. We don't have any confirmation of that, but we've uh, known that uh, the Saudis have been very interested in the Abraham Accords since the beginning. They've been studying them. We had the reports that uh, former Prime Minister Netanyahu met secretly with Saudi leaders in Saudi Arabia, which is the first time a Israeli leader would have set foot. That's never been confirmed, but the reports are fairly substantial. The Saudis, of course, still facing Iran and uh, its machinations and actual attacks going on all the time, especially from uh, Iraqi-backed Houthi rebels just to the south of Saudi Arabia in Yemen. So they would like to see that ended. The problem is uh, President Biden doesn't seem to be as interested in pursuing that as uh, President Trump was. So that gives a little less impetus to this happening. But They certainly are in talks, and if Saudi Arabia came on board, it would be a huge development, Jimmy, because, of course, that is the seat of Islam, where Mecca is. They run the holiest sites in the world of the Muslims, the Saudi government does, and, of course, they're a major oil exporter, etc., so it would be a real boost to the Abraham Accords if it does happen. But, of course, there's a lot of opposition in the Arab world from the radicals warning the Saudis that if they did such a thing, and the Iranians themselves have said this, you will be ousted as leaders of the country. So they've got to keep that in mind as well. Inside of Israel, there is that continuing conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians. However, the two factions of the body politic of the Palestinians, Fatah and Hamas, saying they need to unite for the sake of a Palestinian state. If they do come back together, do you believe there could be a Palestinian state? Well, Jimmy, there have been open talks going on, as there have been for many years, really, but there's been a renewal of those in recent months with the announcement that there would be Palestinian elections, which Abbas canceled after the opinion polls showed clearly that Hamas would win those elections, and we've talked about the fact that subsequent polls after the short 11-day war in early June showed that Hamas is more popular than ever, and they would absolutely trounce the Fatah party in Palestinian elections if they were indeed held. So Hamas is becoming more and more powerful, more and more popular on the Palestinian street, The PLO knows that, and so if they want to remain relevant, if they want to remain in power at all, apparently have to really get serious about talking with Hamas and recognizing their leading position. But of course, as such a government is formed, it kills the peace process, whatever's left of it anyway, off entirely, basically, since Hamas has not changed its charter call for Israel's complete destruction. 
and they make that clear all the time, uh, heavily supported by Iran. So it would make a Palestinian state more possible in theory, but less likely in reality because the Israelis would do everything they could and will do everything they can to stop a Palestinian state headed by this radical movement that wants Israel's destruction. They'll just never allow that to happen, Jimmy. David Dolan with his Middle East News Update. It's a key report for each and every one of us who are students of Bible prophecy. David, longtime journalist in the Middle East, knows what's happening there, gives us great understanding and details about all of the headlines in that region of the world, a key region as it relates to Bible prophecy. David, thank you so much for the report. We'll talk again next week. Glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. I've got Winky Madad standing by at the broadcast table. We'll talk about a pulpery of issues, going deeper into them with Winky in a moment, right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And as promised, we're going to Winky Madad. David Dolan gives us his Middle East News update But I always enjoy a conversation with Winky because we go deeper into some of the issues confronting the Jewish state of Israel. And Winky, there was a vote this week in the Knesset that actually almost brought down the coalition government. What was that vote and what was the law they were voting on? Well, about 14 years ago or so, it became apparent that many Arabs residing in the Palestinian Authority territory, mainly women, were being married off to Arabs resident in the state of Israel itself. Whether or not this was on purpose, planned, or otherwise, Israel saw it as problematic from two uh, angles. One, uh, importing a enemy population and technically, they would be demanding citizenship. Secondly, some of the men and even some of the women involved in these marriages, and don't forget almost 90% if more of marriages among the Muslim population in Israel, even uh, 70 years after the state was created, are still arranged. It also happens in the ultra-Orthodox sector, so it's not something out of the ordinary, but in their society, 
90% or more are arranged marriages. Uh, I won't get into that, but just keep it in the back of your mind. These people were found to be involved in terror. There weren't that many, but nevertheless, you've got to close the door. So uh, they began to develop a situation, and Israel decided at that time to make a temporary measure and declare that all citizens of enemy states, including the Palestinian Authority, will be refused citizenship. And this law is usually extended from time to time. And now with this government, with a strong representation of hard left and uh, Arabs in it, wanted to have that law changed uh, for several thousands of Arabs to gain citizenship. That is the basic situation on the ground. And what happened then when they got to the vote? I mean, it was very close, 59-59. That's almost as close as you can get. Well, what happened was that, A, the opposition played naturally, as usually happens in politics, politics. Why give the government a victory? The idea of opposition is to bring down the government. The government said, well, look, you guys, you were for the law up until now, and you claim to be caring for the security of Israel, so why don't you vote for it? And the answer of Mr. Netanyahu and his fellow coalition partners was twofold. Number one, we have a better law. We propose not a temporary extension every six months to a year or so. Let's make a regular enact, as they say in the United States, a law that will take care of the situation and close all the loopholes. And secondly, if we vote for this law, who knows what will happen because of the makeup of your coalition government, which has a very strong, as I said in the first answer, hard-left element, together with Arabs who are quite nationalistic in their approach, and they could rip the innards out of the uh, temporary restrictions and expand it, and who knows what will happen then. Winky, how close did it come to bringing down the coalition government? Uh, it came close, very close, because what happened was the extreme Arab party split their vote, two, four, and two abstained. If any one of those had voted against, and as happened, uh, one of the members of Knesset from Bennett's own party, Yamina, uh, Shikli voted against, that would have been down the government by one or two votes. That was that close. But what's more important, it's beginning to, and this is, I think, Netanyahu's strategy, if I can then pull back and take a, 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 an overview, he's going to create situations in which the government is embarrassed, whether it's this law, whether it's dealing with corona, whether it's dealing with the United States administration, until eventually... It'll come apart, or a situation will develop when the elections are brought forward, and everybody will say Netanyahu was correct all the time. This government is useless. Let's give him more power. That's the strategy. I noticed that Benny Gantz, who is the defense minister in this coalition government, has some concerns about Lebanon. But uh, let me ask something not political. It's interesting that King Solomon went into Lebanon to be able to purchase the cedars of Lebanon to help build the first temple. Any connection that uh, there may be between Israel and Lebanon as it relates to cedars from Lebanon for this third temple? 
Well, Jimmy, we always had a saying here that we don't know what the first Arab country will be to make peace with Israel, but Lebanon will be the second. But that didn't work out because, A, the PLO in the 80s, or actually in the 70s, moved into uh, Lebanon. And then in Lebanon itself, one development was that the Maronite Christians and the Muslim population began to fight. And later on, Hezbollah came out and took over with a Shiite minority that took over the, basically the country. And so that isn't on the table. But yes, what you're asking, I think, is that could there be coexistence and cooperation with Lebanon that eventually will lead to cedars from Lebanon coming to the Temple in Jerusalem? Quite possible right now they're discussing oil issues off the coast, the northern coast of Israel, and the southern coast of Lebanon, and to share the oil that could possibly be there, which would be a first step, logically, because as far as I know, and I, I don't live in Beirut, but from what I read and see, they're falling apart there in Lebanon. Economic crisis, security, it's really getting out of hand, and Israel, with its entrepreneurship, with its uh, scientific and technological know-how, uh, is more than willing to help out to the extent that it can. Very interesting story, and we'll stay on top of it, because Psalm 83, verse 7, does mention Lebanon as a part of that alignment of nations that will try to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. Winky, I read an article this week that the Palestinians and Iran are not mainly the threat to Israel that the Herodim are. Now, who are the Herodim, first of all, and what is the problem that they seem to be posing to Israel. Well, the Haredim is another word for basically, I think I, I've been using all the years on your program, ultra-Orthodox. In other words, for our friends listening in the program, those people you see mainly dressed in black with many, many children. Most of the men will be studying until their late 20s and early 30s before they go out to work. Their wives do go out to work early, usually as school teachers or other similar professions, and they don't serve in the army. That is what we call the Haredim here in, in Israel. And the article, of course, was not basically a, a scientific or an economic one, but just a, another controversial piece pointing out that there is a problem with the Haredim population. Uh, they should be working uh, or gaining employment at an earlier age, and they should be contributing to the defense and security of, of the uh, the country. But to force that on them, on the one hand, and to label them as more a danger than Arabs or Iran is, is really being, I think the phrase is over the top, Jimmy, a, a little bit too strident in his political, personal viewpoint. Not to say that he isn't wrong in pointing a finger, but I think sometimes a little bit more normative and calm discourse can solve problems rather than screaming and yelling. And because of that, that's the reason I asked you the question. I knew you could explain it to us so that we would understand the absolute truth of behind it. Well, a very interesting statement from outgoing Israeli President Reuven Rivlin. He met with Mahmoud Abbas, and he said right to his face, Israel will exist forever. Now, I know biblically that is true, but an interesting statement made by an Israeli leader to a Palestinian leader, wasn't it? 
Yes, it was. And I should remind you and our listeners, Mr. Rivlin comes from a background of the Menachem Begin Cherut Irgun heritage. In other words, the Jabotinsky movement. The Irgun, of course, was the pre-state militia or underground. Begin, of course, was the leader of Cherut that, that brought the Likud to power for the first time in 77. His, his family has a very strong background in revisionism as a political party. His father was a, a huge intellectual force uh, of studying of, the, of Arabic and the Arab culture. and He, in fact, translated the Koran for the first time from Arabic into Hebrew. So he comes from a family that's quite knowledgeable about Arabs and Arab customs and Arab politics, and he's not embarrassed to say so. I could say other things about his Israeli politics, but Mr. Rivlin knows and is very strong, and I think his trip to the United States recently, I think it was last week, to meet with President Biden, also, I am sure, uh, expressed a very strong security future strength of Israel in the face of both the Palestinian Authority and Iran, uh, straight to the face of the President of the United States. You know, Winky, I understand you're not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but do you see any time in the future that there will be an end to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict or not? You're asking me to be very pessimistic. And uh, my answer would be, at the present moment, I don't see the Arab side or the Palestinian Authority. Let's leave the Arab nations aside for a second, Jimmy, because we saw that some Arab nations indeed have made peace, so it's not as if we could be totally pessimistic on that. I'm talking about the Palestinian Authority. They have no existence in their minds, if I am going to be trying to be clear about this, other than opposing Zionism. They have no other reason to exist as, as a people, because they weren't really a people. And it was only Zionism that bestirred them to act the way they do. In other words, if it wasn't for Zionism, there wouldn't be any Palestinianism. And so uh, I don't see them being able, culturally or politically, at this point in time, and for the near future, for sure, of being able to stop the conflict, because they have demands of the return of the refugees, of Jerusalem. It's not just oh, let's sign a piece of paper. They have all sorts of background and deep conflicting uh, issues with Israel and Zionism. I don't see it. A good read on the subject would be the little book, uh, the prophetic book of Obadiah. I'll talk more about that when I take a look at the book. Winky Medad, one of my favorite broadcast partners here on Prophecy Today, always comes to bat and hits the ball out of the ballpark. Winky, thank you so much for the interaction with me today about these potpourri of issues facing the Israeli people. God bless, my friend. Have a good Sabbath, and we'll talk to you again next week. Jimmy, thank you for having me on. It's been a great privilege again, and goodbye to you and our listeners. Winky Madad with great information, a potpourri of items we covered with Winky today. He always has great insight for us. His background helps him to be able to talk about any and every subject I bring to his attention.
Well, another key report on a weekly basis comes from John Rood. John lived in Brussels, Belgium, headquarters for the European Union for about 30 years or more. And in fact, that helps him to be able to explain issues coming out of the European Union as well. And John, want to ask you about the statement coming from the Prime Minister of Slovenia, who is the temporary president of the member states of the European Union. He says imposing imaginary values on the European Union could risk a collapse of the EU. Give us some of your thoughts about this. This story really shows some of the substance of the European Union and how they operate. Uh, Slovenia is just assuming now the EU presidency for six months. So they see the Slovenian prime minister, uh, Janša, as uh, quite controversial. He's backed a legislation from Hungary that is to outlaw the promotion or portrayal of homosexuality to children. And the Dutch prime minister has just come out very, very strong, saying that this is clashing with the fundamental values of the European Union documents. And so, therefore, it is a, a challenge. He even challenged the Hungarian leader to drop the law or to take the country out of the EU. So uh, the Slovenian prime minister has come back and said, this is the same thing we encountered in the Yugoslavian group of, of countries where they're being imposed and it, I think it's a very good statement, the way he said these are imaginary values of the European Union that have been forced on them. And this is the type of thing that can cause collapse, indeed, more instability. Very interesting connection also between the European Union and the activities in the Middle East, in particular Syria. The opposition parties in Syria going to European leaders and saying they must stop Syria from what is taking place. It's going to be an interesting development to see how that unfolds, John. We should see that there's a coalition of opposition groups in Syria which are actually recognized to be the legitimate representative of the Syrian people by 120 states and organizations, and this includes the U.S. and the EU. So they have come out one of the top groups saying that Europe should exert further pressure on Syria. Of course, we know there's been a, a drastic Syrian civil war. It's killed half a million people. Uh, 11 million people are, are now homeless and so forth. But the European Union has a few countries now. I believe it's five. Five member states have embassies in Syria. So they want to be certain. The EU is coming out to say... They're not normalizing relations with the Assad regime, but they're being monitored to see how this uh, continues, that these openings, reopenings of embassies in Damascus. Each and every item that I discuss with John, if you've been listening the last couple of minutes, are players in the end-time scenario found in God's prophetic word. That's why we bring John Rood to the broadcast table each and every week, a key report for us here on Prophecy Today. John, thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jamie. Always uh, emphasizing the prophetic significance. John Rood with an excellent report on the European Union. 
believing that the European Union is at least the infrastructure for that revived Roman Empire spoken of there in Daniel chapter 7. Well, we now bring to the broadcast table a broadcast partner joining us periodically during the year. If I get his newsletter and I find something of great interest that we need to let you know about, I get a hold of Mike Gendron. He and his wife have a ministry entitled Proclaiming the Gospel. Now, their website, ProclaimingTheGospel.org, I believe that's their email site as well. I would say, Mike, probably the largest field, the mission field that you and your wife are involved in, the Catholicism aspect of religiosity in the world. It's a large mission field, isn't it? Well, it is. It represents about 1.3 billion precious souls that are believing a false and fatal gospel. So we need to lovingly confront them with the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I know from your newsletter that Pope Francis, who heads up Catholicism in our world, back in February this year, February the 4th, I do believe, he was in Abba, Dubai, and there he met with an imam from the Sunni sect of Islam, the most important imam in that sect, and they not only met, but they signed a covenant, a key covenant that brings these two religiosities together. And not only that, they had witnesses to this signing of the covenant from all the other religiosities in the world. Sounds very prophetic to me, so I want to talk to you about it. Talk to us about this meeting that took place. Well, it's a meeting that I believe will be the catalyst for the convergence of Islam and Roman Catholicism. It really started back in 1994, but in the Catechism of the Catholic Church that came out in 1998, paragraph 841 says, The plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the Creator in the first place, amongst whom are the Muslims. So we wonder, why would the Roman Catholic religion single out Islam as a part of God's plan of salvation. And I think we can just expect that when you look at 1.3 billion Catholics and maybe 1.6 billion Muslims, if you combine the two religions together, that represents 3 billion people or about 40% of the world's population. So I believe as you see these two religions coming together, the rest of the religions will follow suit to form a global religion that will one day worship Antichrist. I've been able to read a article that you wrote on this particular subject, and you mentioned 10 different common activities among both of the religiosities, Catholicism and Islam. Let me just ask you to give us a distinct answer to those points I'm going to bring to your attention, I'm only going to use about five. That's the time that we have for this interview today. First of all, both of them esteem and honor the Virgin Mary, don't they? Well, they do. They both, both religions call her Our Lady, and they venerate her as a pure and holy saint. In fact, Mary is the most revered woman of the Muslim faith. Her name appears more times in the Quran than it does in the Bible. And Muslims esteem her because of her submission to God, and that's what Islam is all about. But it leads to the next common bond, which is both seek messages from apparitions of Mary. In fact, we have Muslims now going to apparition sites, 
seeking messages from these apparitions. One of the sites is in Fatima, Portugal, a city named after Muhammad's first daughter, and people are traveling thousands of miles to get a message from Mary. It's truly fascinating. She's coming for all of her children. This is what the messages are saying. And so this would be, I think, the great catalyst that would bring these two religions together, looking to Mary as the messenger from God. However, at the same time, they both embrace Jesus Christ, too, don't they? Well, they do, but they both have a counterfeit Jesus Christ. Roman Catholicism has a Christ who returns to the earth every day at the beck and call of a Catholic priest to be transubstantiated into a lifeless piece of bread. He is then offered on an altar, denying the fact that the true Jesus was offered on a cross. He offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. And then he cried out, it is finished, but Catholics continue the work of redemption through a Eucharistic Christ. Islam, on the other hand, has a counterfeit Christ, Esau, and they declare that he is only a prophet, that he is not God, and he never died on a cross. So they both have a different Christ, and they also deny the authority of Scripture. Both Catholics and Muslims have their holy books that go against Scripture, and that becomes their authority. You know, that, I believe, is very key. We have the absolute Word of God, infallible, inerrant Word of God that we can look to, but they have some type of literature, the Catholic Bible and also the Quran in the Islamic faith. We need to stick to the Word, right? That's where absolute truth is. Well, that's right, and that's where people are easily deceived. They do not submit to the supreme authority of Scripture. We also know the Word of God to be the imperishable seed that brings forth life. So if these two religions are looking elsewhere, they have no hope of ever being born again. And I noticed in the paper that you wrote, and we're going to post it on our website, our top ten news stories. Would that be all right if we do that, Mike? Sure. We need to get the word out so people can be warned. Well, we'll do that, and it'll be at prophecytoday.com on our home page, and we'll remind you how to get a hold of Mike Gendron at proclaimingthegospel.org as well. I also read, though, in that paper that they both have a desire for a worldwide dominion. Talk to us about that for a moment. Well, it's true. They both rule with a autocratic government, and they have a history of forced conversions and killing those who oppose them. So it's amazing that we know that the ultimate global government and global religion will put to death those who stand opposed to the global religion, and so this may be a precursor, these two religions coming together, indoctrinating people, intimidating them, and under the fear of death, many will come to take the mark of the beast and worship Antichrist. What you've just mentioned, dear friend, you can find in the book of Revelation, chapter 13 and also chapter 17, the one world religion. You know, you mentioned something at the beginning of our conversation, Mike, that I think is key. When you put the two together, it's about three billion, that's a B, three billion people on this earth that need to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's a great mission, Phil, isn't it? Would you encourage everybody to go after both Catholicism and Islam to try to win their adherence to Jesus Christ? Well, that's absolutely why we're 
doing the ministry that we're doing, we have a great compassion for those who are perishing, believing that they belong to a true religion, but being deceived. And so we know the nature of deception is that people do not know they're deceived until they're confronted with the truth of God's Word. So that's what our ministry is about, lovingly approaching people with, with the true gospel of Christ so that they will know that they have been deceived and then they can repent and put their trust in an all-sufficient Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope your listeners will also have a common compassion for those who are perishing. And we have a lot of information on our website, a lot of resources that will help you be better equipped to reach out to this huge mission field. Give us that address of your website again, Mike. It's proclaimingthegospel.org, and there you can not only see the resources that we have, but also even the message that uh, we embedded in our last newsletter about Islam and Roman Catholicism coming together to form this convergent religion that will one day worship Antichrist. And remember, we'll have the article that Mike wrote on this subject on our website, prophecytoday.com, on the home page in the top 10 news stories. Mike, thank you for your ministry. Thank you for the information you've given us today. Keep looking up, buddy. The rapture could happen at any moment. That's right. Keep standing for the truth, Jimmy. Good to be on your show. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, David James standing by. He's going to talk to us about a book that tells of experiences of people going to heaven. You do not want to miss that conversation. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We go into our last half hour. If you can stick around for 30 minutes... I will have given you 90 minutes of information from broadcast partners around the world that will assist you in your understanding of how God's prophetic scenario for the end times is coming into place. David James is coming. We'll be discussing near-death experiences and a book that talks about trips into heaven. You do not want to miss that conversation. I have a poll question I would love for you to answer. Go to my home page, prophecytoday.com. On the left-hand column, if you scroll down, you'll find the poll question. Here's the question. Mike Gendron reported this week on the convergence of Catholicism and Islam. Do you believe that these two religiosities could be the one-world religion foretold in Revelation chapter 17? That's the bold question. Please go to my homepage, prophecytoday.com, and answer that question. One more request, if you'll allow me. Please pray for our ministry, prophecytoday.com. We are reaching out to the world with information that helps everybody understand the soon coming of Jesus Christ. Also, I would like for you to consider making a donation to Prophecy Today. We could use it at this time as we get the message out. That's prophecytoday.com. We now bring to my broadcast table David James. David and I have a weekly conversation on an issue confronting the body of Christ. 
This time we're going to be talking about near-death experiences and claims of trips both to heaven and hell. We'll get to that in a moment, David. But this week we have another prophecy question from one of our listeners, this time related to the millennium, the final judgment, the new creation, and the sequence of those events. Talk to us about how this all unfolds. Sure, Jimmy. Well, it is another interesting question, and we do get some really good ones. And in most cases, I'm guessing that if one person has a question, then then there are others out there with the same question, or maybe they've been asked about them. So I think it's helpful for us to do this part of our segment. And our listener wrote this, I understand that the great white throne judgment is after the 1,000 years, but isn't the earth and the heavens destroyed after the 1,000 years? Then he asked, so where would the people from the 1,000-year millennium be, and where would the great white throne judgment be? In the new heavens, the new earth, or would it happen before this heaven and the earth are destroyed? So, Jimmy, I would say that the great white throne judgment is part of the present creation and the sequence of events in John's visions in Revelation 19-21 to 21 are in chronological order, which I would say is largely true of most of his visions, although not completely so, as you point out, Jimmy, in your book on Revelation. So Revelation 19 describes Christ's return, and chapter 20 describes his millennial reign and the final judgment. Then it's in chapter 21, verse 1, that we read about the new creation. And I personally think, and I think you and I have talked about this, we both think that everyone will be present at the great white throne judgment, but its purpose is not to determine who is saved or lost, but to pronounce the final guilty verdict against the lost, and the saved will be witnesses. And then afterward, the saved will somehow be preserved through the destruction of the present creation and then placed in the new creation. At least that's the way I would see it biblically. Yeah, I see it the exact same way, David. A couple of details as to where we're going to be at that time after the great white throne judgment and the new creation. You know, those are not mentioned in God's Word, but I'm sure if God can do what He says He's going to do, He'll be able to take care of us at that time. So it's a good answer. And thank you, dear listener, for your question. Well, our topic this week was prompted by another listener's email concerning a book that he had read about near-death experiences and claims of trips to heaven and to hell. He thought that these stories might be an encouragement to believers. Talk to us about this email. Well, Jimmy, it's been a while since we've dealt with this issue, but we have discussed it a few times going back as far as 2014, so I'll just read our listeners' email. I was interested to get your take on Imagine Heaven, that's the name of the book, by John Burke, that attempts to take a more biblical approach to NDEs, that's near-death experiences, and he seems to vet cases to screen out financial or attention motives. And then he went on to say, I view this approach as an encouragement to the Church regarding our true home, heaven with a commitment to the gospel, and not worshiping the experience. What are your thoughts? So, Jimmy, I've taught on this subject many times as one of the topics in my course on current theological issues, but it's been a while since I've done much research on it, and I'd actually forgotten that I had read this particular book as part of my research at one point, and it has several reports of trips to heaven in it. And over the years, I've read maybe 25 of these near-death experiences and watched the two Hollywood movies that have been based on two of the more popular books, which were Heaven is for Real and 90 Minutes in Heaven. 
David, I do think most of our listeners are at least somewhat familiar with the books and the movies about the claims of trips to heaven. And I want to get to those in just a moment. But before we do that, could you explain what we mean when we use the phrase near-death experiences? Sure. So a near-death experience is also referred to by the acronym NDE, which our listener used. And it refers to a variety of similar experiences that some people have in connection with the process of dying. And it may or may not involve the person actually reaching the point of being clinically dead. You know, you may remember this. Many years ago, we had a guest teacher in Hungary who had a heart attack. And on the way to the hospital, the ambulance had to pull to the side of the road and restart his heart seven different times. So he was definitely near death. But an NDE is what people believe they experience, which usually includes some combination of at least four major elements reported by, again, almost everyone who has an NDE. And these include a sense of rising up out of one's body, the sense of rushing through a dark tunnel toward a bright light at the end, then the sense of emerging into a bright light that's usually emanating from a very bright being. And then the fourth is an overwhelming sense of acceptance, love, and peace that's often interpreted as being in heaven. And by the way, that guest teacher did survive the ordeal, and he did not report having any of these near-death experiences. David, you mentioned, and we both were talking about a moment ago, a couple of books and movies that were based on these uh, trips into heaven. Uh, Take a moment and talk about what these movies and books were all about. Sure. One book is Heaven is for Real, which came out in 2011, and the movie came out in 2014. And it's about a three-year-old boy named Colton Burpo who developed appendicitis, and his appendix actually burst. And a few months later, after he had turned four years old, he began talking with his parents about how he had gone to heaven And over the course of weeks and maybe months, he gave more and more details about what he claims to have seen and experienced when he died while he was in the hospital. Now, it's interesting to note the hospital records say that he never actually died. He was never clinically dead, according to hospital records, and of course he would have been hooked up to medical equipment. Now, there are a lot of strange things about his claims, including the fact that he says he sat on Jesus' lap for an extended period of time, that Jesus has a rainbow-colored horse, that the Holy Spirit is kind of blue and sat beside him, and that Satan is ugly and has bad teeth. And interestingly, none of these strange elements were depicted in the movie, which I think would have caused a lot of people to just reject it out of hand had they tried to do that which tells us something about the nature of what he was saying. And again, this is a three- or four-year-old boy. Now, the events behind the other book, 90 Minutes in Heaven, happened in 1989, even though the book wasn't published until 2014, and then the movie came out in 2015. And this involved a Baptist pastor named Don Piper, who was in a crash, and and when the car he was driving, he hit a semi-truck head-on, and then the truck ran straight over his car, trapping him for at least 90 minutes. And he was declared dead at the scene by paramedics, and he believes that he died and went to heaven for that 90 minutes, but then came back to life. I understand that there were many contradictions in that book about the guy who went to heaven for 90 minutes. Actually, he contradicted himself. 
but I've not read the book, and I'm looking, of course, for you to give us the details. Now, when you deal, David, with claims of trips to heaven in your Theological Issues course that you teach, what are some of the main things you discuss? For example, do you deal with this just on a biblical side, or do you also get into the medical side as well? Well, really, I deal with both sides because I think they're connected. And the first thing is that there's a difference between being clinically dead and being dead in the biblical sense, meaning that your spirit has left your body. And, and it would seem that the actual decay of the body doesn't start until the spirit leaves. And once you stop breathing, your blood starts becoming acidic due to the buildup of carbonic acid because of the buildup of carbon dioxide. And before long, that acid starts to punch through cell walls, destroying tissue. And then also within five minutes of the blood flow stopping to the brain, neurons in several brain regions start dying. And so it's not just a matter of someone's spirit returning to their body after 10 minutes or in the case of Don Piper after 90 minutes. God would have to miraculously repair all of the physical damage, especially in the brain. And from a biblical perspective, there are no spontaneous resuscitations, people coming back from the dead, recorded in the Bible. Everyone was raised back to life through a prophet or an apostle or Jesus. And of course, that's except for Jesus himself. And then another problem is these don't just come from born-again Christians. And if everyone is going to heaven, then everyone who thinks Jesus is the only way of salvation is wrong in the Bible isn't true. And then finally, except for those four common elements I mentioned earlier, of the 25 or so accounts that I've read, no two people, even Christians, describe what they saw in the same way, and they're often contradictory. And this tells me that they can't all be going to the same place. But on the other hand, science says that these perceived experiences can be explained by the biochemical processes that happen in the brain as it begins to shut down near death. Those are some very important points that you gave to us, David. Appreciate that. Well, briefly, getting back to our listeners' email, what about the idea that these reports of trips to heaven can be an encouragement to the church and maybe help with further commitment to the gospel. What are your thoughts about that? I honestly think there are several problems, Jimmy. First, if these are simply misinterpretations of near-death experiences and people really aren't going to heaven, then even if the people are not intentionally lying, and probably most aren't, they're still false stories based upon misinterpretation of what they experience. And we always need to encourage people with what we know to be true from the Word of God, not claimed experiences. And concerning commitment to the gospel, there have been believers who have walked away from conservative evangelicalism because they've concluded, based upon this experience of what they believe is going to heaven, that Jesus isn't the only way of salvation because they think that everybody goes there, and, this, and it's changed their theology. And also in the account, not the story, not the parable, of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, the rich man in hell begged Abraham to send Lazarus back from the dead, and this is what we read. The rich man said, I beg you that you sit, would send him, meaning Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Then Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though someone rise from the dead. So we do not need these 
and in fact, they're not helpful. And I think we ought to notice that uh, story of Lazarus and uh, the rich man, the compassion of the rich man for his own brothers. We need to have that compassion today, not after death. That's a great study that you helped us to go through today. A good discussion. Appreciate it so very much. Thank you for your research. I think it was an issue we needed to touch base with and help the body of Christ from a biblical perspective understand the issue. So thank you so much, David. I understand you'll be traveling this afternoon. Be safe on the road, and we'll talk again next week with another issue. Thanks so much, Jimmy. It's always a pleasure. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'll take a look at all of the information our broadcast partners gave us. Then I'll open the Bible. We'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today Weekend for us to take a look at the book. This week we gave you 90 minutes of information, in-depth news that may well be the details on current events that are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This is not mainstream media but men, many of them, on the scene of these news stories, and they have the truth behind the stories, plus important details that you need to know. Details which you will not get from mainstream media. Now, in a moment, I'll give you my prophetic perspective on these news stories. 
If you had to miss any of these reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there we have archived all of my conversation with my broadcast partners today. And do please tell a friend and or a family member that these reports are there. It would be great for them to hear the reports as well. And you can do us a great favor if you will help us to get this information across the nation and around the world. That's prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Now to my prophetic perspective on the news. Ken Timmerman, who was located in southern France, reports on geopolitical activities happening around the world, and Ken brought to our attention what's going on in China. China preparing for war with America. And all of this going on while the United States is going woke. This is a sad story as it relates to America, but prophetically it is absolutely true. Remember, China will be a key player in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. That's Revelation, China mentioned as one of the kings of the East. We will continue to watch and report on what China is doing. David Dolan has his Middle East news update on a weekly basis. It's a must for all of us who are students of Bible prophecy. And Dave today told us about a secret meeting between King Abdullah and the Prime Minister of Israel that took place in Amman, Jordan. He also reported the fact that both King Abdullah and Prime Minister Bennett of Israel will meet with President Biden at the White House later this month. The Lord does use political leaders to make political decisions that will set the prophetic scenario in place for its fulfillment. That principle mentioned in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17. I brought Winky Madad to the broadcast table. We talked about a potpourri of activities in Israel, one of them being that the Israeli defense minister, Benny Gantz, wants to help Lebanon, who is in dire financial crisis, and with the possibility that Israel might be able to get cedars of Lebanon, as King Solomon did when he built the first temple, these next cedars to go towards building the next temple. Remember, Lebanon will be a part of the alignment of nations, Psalm 83, verse 7, referred to as Tyre, and in fact, that alignment is prepared to go after the Jewish state of Israel even today. But Rinky brought to our attention that Lebanon may well be able to supply those cedars of Lebanon for the next temple. John Rood, who covers the European Union for us, he is a capable reporter on that region because of his living in Brussels, Belgium, the headquarters for the European Union for over 30 years. John talked about Syrian opposition calling on the European Union to help stop the civil war in Syria. 
this civil war killing hundreds of thousands over the last many years, displacing millions. However, remember that Iran and Russia have been in Syria helping to rebuild this war-torn country, and that is all part of an alignment of nations that is foretold in the Word of God, the book of Daniel, chapter 11. Mike Gendron came to talk about the convergence of Catholicism and Islam. Catholicism and Islam are actually coming together very quickly. I do know that Rome will be a part of that one world religion. Revelation chapter 17, we know that for sure. Islam most likely to be destroyed as the Islamic world endeavors to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. That's Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 18 through chapter 39 and verse 6. Had a very important conversation with David James on the broadcast today. We talked about near-death experiences and trips into heaven. One listener asked if that would encourage the body of Christ today. Well, let me suggest what will encourage the body of Christ is to read the Word of God. There have been three men, I believe, who went into the heavenlies. That was Enoch, Genesis chapter 5, Elijah, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, and the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 to 4. Two of these men will make their way back to earth in a day not too distant into the future. That would be Elijah and Enoch, the two witnesses that are discussed in Revelation chapter 11. And those men going into the heavenlies, coming back to serve the Lord again during the tribulation period, will indeed happen. You know, the return of Elijah and Enoch right after the rapture of the church is going to be an unbelievable, spectacular event. They will preach 144,000 male virgin Jews will come to know Christ, and they will spread out across the world preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Oh, by the way, that rapture could happen at any moment. Would it not be great if it did happen today? Therefore, you must make sure you're prepared, living pure, and being productive until that rapture, which could happen today, does take place. And having said that, basically nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today.